Hey everybody, happy holidays. Welcome to the top games of the year for me for 2015. I'll be posting several end of year videos this week, so definitely take a look at them. Uh, so I am going to give away my favorite game of the year. Uh, so hang around and stick around for that. The way that you can get that is just uh, comment on the video here on YouTube and then I will pick out a random person and they will get a copy of my favorite game of the year. So quick little couple of things here. I'm not doing a top 10. I did that last year. I hadn't done it in the past. It's not gonna fit this year because I had a lot of strong entries that I wanted to include. And then I went across and sort of figured out what sort of genres or categories they might fit in. And that's basically three categories. And I did a top seven in each of those. And those categories in order will be uh, Euro games, uh, Meritrash games, and then social games. Uh, so the Euro games is a little bit wonky, maybe depending on your opinion of what that word means, but I'll talk about that more in a minute. I just wanted to mention a couple of honorable mentions uh, because I'm going to leave out some good games because they didn't fit in this category, but otherwise this video game, uh, this video game review thing <laughs> would be like an hour long. So a couple honorable mentions, Imperial Assault, which missed my list last year because I didn't get it till like Christmas and then played it and we're supposed to finish up our campaign. It's been a year, but we had several people leave and move. Uh, we're going to finish that up here in the next couple of weeks and then hopefully jump into Hoth. And uh, I love that game. It's awesome. But it's kind of a 2014 release. So I knew I would get a bunch of flack about that. But that would it would be high up on my Ameritrash list. I don't know exactly where. Probably number one or two. Okay, there you go. Uh, the last two sort of honorable mentions are the Versus System and Ashes. Now they didn't fit into these three categories. Uh, maybe Ameritrash, but they're you know, basically card games or LCG style games. Really enjoying both of those. I think I like Versus a little bit more than Ashes, but kind of need the expansions to come out for both of those for me to really make up my mind. I've seen some previews of the new Versus uh, expansion stuff. It looks fantastic, so I'm extra excited about that, which is why it just gets a little bit of a bump for me above Ashes. I haven't seen a lot of leaks or previews for Ashes, but it looks really cool. I'm holding on to both of them. I like them because they're sort of a slower stage, kind of gentle release LCG, where you don't have new packs coming out uh, left and right. I did also hold on to the Game of Thrones second edition. I wanna give that a few more goes as well, but definitely Versus and Ashes for me would be my sort of upper echelon card games there. Really close, by the way. So let's go through the Euros. These are gonna be top seven Euros, then I'll do top seven Ameritrash and top seven social games. Uh, so number seven from the Euros is The King is Dead. This is a small 30 minute Euro game that actually works well at lunch. And it's very, very different. It's an area control game that works very interesting at three and four players. Two players you could kind of take or leave. But the three player game is fantastic. There's not really a three player game experience quite like this one. It's very heavy and crunchy. Uh, there's a lot of sort of thought and, and a lot of sort of uh, strategic approach. You kind of think several turns down the road and the four player game has the same elements, but it's sort of like playing teach you or a team based ladder climbing trick taking game where you sort of have a collective score and then you're trying to sort of influence these different factions, but without speaking and just through the card play and trying to give hints sort of with the cards that you may or may not be playing very tight, crunchy, thinky game, but it only plays in about 30 minutes. We loved it at lunch, played it all the time. 
Very cool game. The number six game is Above and Below. This is from Ryan Lockout at Red Raven Games. This is very interesting. It is a Euro game, sort of a nice traditional kind of Euro vibe, but then tack on, not tack on, but add on Tales of the Arabian Nights storybook reading, which has a direct impact on your gameplay. So the idea of the game is you've all been sort of expelled or exiled from your previous homeland. You're settling a new area. There's an above ground and a below ground, hence above and below. And when you go and explore below, you are going to be sort of excavating caverns in a way and then having different encounters. And those are the encounters are what come out of the storybook. Fantastic. Lovely game is the, the word I can use because the art and everything is so sort of whimsical but also very well integrated and it makes a lot of sense and you have a lot of sort of like moral choice as well with some of those encounters. And then on top of that you sort of a set collecting kind of thing, you're building up different buildings, you have special abilities and victory points. Very tightly well done and easily expandable. I know he's working on other storybooks and all kinds of other things like that to go with the game. Definitely take a look at this one. So the number five one is The Gallerist. This is a big, heavy monster of a game from Vitalisurda, who I've reviewed yeah, all of his games so far. I don't know if this is my favorite one. It might be my favorite game of his. I have a hard time. I need to go like back and play CO2 again, uh, just to kind of compare and contrast since The Gallerist is fresh in my head. They're both very, very different. I think these are the two most different of his games. Uh, Venus and Kanban kind of feel like a lot of other heavy modern Euros, but they got a little Vital twist on it. Uh, the Gallerist and CO2 feel like another step, another world apart. The production values on the Gallerist are out of this world. And it's a very interesting theme too of how you manage people visiting your gallery. Uh, if you don't know the game, it's a theme of you have an art gallery and you're buying and selling art. You're also trying to attract collectors versus uh, investors and all kinds of different types of visitors. Very thematic and also heavy and crunchy. Uh, definitely take a look at this if you haven't already and you like heavy euros. The number four is Argent the Consortium. This is really sort of leaps and bounds different than a lot of euros. It's sort of a hybrid in a way because like it's a Meritrash euro because there's a lot of cool special abilities and, and cards and spells and things that you can get to play. But it definitely comes down for me a little bit more on the Euro side, whereas a game that I have on my Ameritrash list comes down a little bit more on the Ameritrash side. But this one to me, I feel like straddles the fence, but comes down a little bit Euro for me. And it's really crazy because you don't really know what the victory condition is going to be. You've got to sort of deduce that and figure that out by what the other players are doing and then by the slowly revealing these hidden agendas. So each player is trying to get votes to be the head of this magical Harry Potter-like school. It's not like Harry Potter, but that's the closest thing I can think of. And it's just great because you have that element of kind of like worker placement, but also workers with different magic and special abilities. And then that whole deduction element of like, you know, if you have the most gold coins at the end of the game, excuse me, at the end of the game, you get, you know, my votes. And if you have the most green spells, you get this other person's votes. And combine all that with this crazy wild powers that you can get that everybody has access to, mind you, to augment all of that worker placement stuff. It's beautiful and it, the game looks beautiful. It's got this kind of anime style thing, sort of, um, that's very different and interesting for a Euro style game. 
really have enjoyed this. The group has really, really enjoyed it as well. So that was number four, Argent the Consortium. And number five, or three, is Automobiles. This is from AEG. Little fudge here because it's not quite out yet, but there were a lot of copies that were floating around. I feel like I wanna give this mention because we've really had a blast playing this game. Uh, the family has really enjoyed it and it has so much packed into the game. And this is one of those where I talked about this Euro category kind of being a little bit wonky because Euro is not really a great word like ever anymore because the classifications just are just sort of avoid being captured. And this has some Euro-y elements. I mean, deck building, I guess that's a Euro element. Dominion was a Euro, I guess. And it has a lot of replay in the box though because you have this cube building thing where you have bags and you pull out cubes of different colors that match these cards and they will do different effects to move your cars around the racetrack and the rate there's two racetracks in the game and so the maneuverability and sort of where you want to drive on the racetrack is going to dictate what you're doing the kind of loadout or the the display of cards that you have so you think of like in dominion you shuffle up the cards and you put out a display of cards to buy that game this has that same element where you've got to really figure out how much sort of wear and tear you're going to generate on your car through the game and which cards you're going to buy to sort of augment that and at what point you're going to kind of shift tactics also because you can sort of burn cubes out of your bag and you might try to just you know push and race to the end of it uh, you know as you get towards the end of the game and your your thoughts are going to change based on how many laps you want to play the game for because you can play i think up to seven laps or you can just do like a quick three lap race and all kinds of cool stuff so there's a lot of replayability here that hits on those sort of like those familiar notes of deck building but it's very different and it's a little bit more interactive it feels like because you have to really think about where the cars are and on the uh, the track and what the shape of the track and everything looks like especially as you add more players to the game so really had a lot of fun with this very surprised that i like this but i'm going to call it 2015 release because we've been playing about a month now <laughs> so but you got to look at it look out for it uh probably coming next month in january so number two now is Food Chain Magnate. This is another recent edition, but really have quite fallen in love with this game in a lot of ways. It's from Splatter Spellin, and it's a very open-ended business Euro to be, uh, you know, sort of glib about it. Very cool theme, a very quirky uh, look and feel to it of sort of a 1950s style board game, but also in uh, it evokes a 1950s style theme of running a fast food chain and you have this real cool like it's not pick up and deliver but it's sort of like you create these little markets and advertising spaces around the board to sort of suck business away from the other players and a lot of it has to do with the style of advertising that you put up also the proximity of the advertising to different neighborhoods what you're actually advertising if it's even in demand or yeah, that's how you're actually creating the demand but if you're able to actually excuse me supply the demand of what's being advertised and a real kind of fight for turf in a lot of ways and then also fighting for getting in at the right time and sort of undercutting the prices of other players and all kinds of stuff like that uh, so it's a very open-ended kind of a deck building idea but it's you end up buying and acquiring these different employees and adding them to this ever-growing giant hand of employees and then building them out into a pyramid and then each turn you kind of activate them and they kind of do different things based on 
who you put down there and everything. So very, very different, like all splatter games are, but also very open-ended, very uh, cutthroat, and you can really, if you're good at the game, just short-circuit it for everybody, which I like. I like that in a game, because a lot of times you sort of cruise along with these Euros and everybody's kind of doing okay, and then at the end of the game you figure out you lost by 30 points and you weren't really doing that good. In this game, you're gonna know kind of quick at a certain point in the game if you weren't doing very good, or the game could be very tight. And uh, speaking of tight, it works well as a two-player game and all the player counts. Um, but it's got that brutality to it, which I do enjoy from time to time. Uh, finally, the number one game of my Euro category, and, I, and this is the Euro category is kind of my strategy category. This is where the game and the mechanics are higher prevalence for me than, for example, my Ameritrash side. Even though I think all the Ameritrash games I, hear, I have on here, which I'm gonna talk about next, have great mechanics and are very engaging from the gameplay perspective, to me, this category is forefront and above the mechanics first. And it, I just get into winning the game. Whereas a lot of my Ameritrash games, I don't care as much if I win. I still try to win. Of course, you want to try to win. You, that's the whole point. This one is like, I'm trying to win these. I'm trying to be clever and efficient with what I'm doing. So number one is Roll for the Galaxy. Uh, this game is awesome. I love the new expansion, which just came out. And this is why I kind of preface this with this whole idea of mechanics, because once you kind of roll the dice in this, uh, you know, you roll these dice and to sort of get more dice and get more planets and settlements to get more special abilities and more dice and really kind of zap the power out each round as efficiently as possible to generate money and victory points and to sort of snowball your way to victory. Um, it doesn't have a snowball runaway leader thing, I don't think at all, but that's what it feels like. You're trying to just eke out all the efficiencies you can with this cool dice manipulation. And it really just takes dice manipulation into such a great direction for me where I feel like it's almost like what I wanted Quarriors to be, which is kind of a weird thing. But I wanted to have this thing where I was able to get new dice. You still have that random element, which is interesting because each turn you get new possibilities to play with. But this one is, there's a lot more manipulation and things that you can do where it reminds me more of some of the more dicey Euros that have come out like Burgundy and uh, I don't know, I'm spacing out on a bunch of them. but. It has that whole lever pulling manipulation aspects going on, combos, you know, digging for the cool developments and planets. And it's just really funny. It plays really quickly. I mean, I've played this from two to five all the way across, and I'll play with any player count. Works well across all of them. The only rule for two players is you just roll simply a one white die each turn, and then it kind of like sort of AI picks a roll for you. And that's it. But it's great across all player counts and it plays quick because it's just everybody's taking their turns simultaneously and you can get a five player game done in you know, like 45 minutes or so after everybody's played it. Um, it just, and it looks gorgeous too and it's just, it's one of those kind of intangible things with a lot of these Euros um, where it's just fun to get in there and manipulate and sort of search out that most efficient, you know, best strategy for that given game. And this really excels at that and then condenses all of it down, like I said, into a reasonable playing time. Okay, that was the Euros. Now we're gonna do Ameritrash. We're not gonna do number seven Ameritrash. And the number seven is Warhammer Quest from Fantasy Flight, new release, awesome game, very fun, very evocative of the Warhammer 
sort of fantasy universe, the brutality of that, and just a super fun, quick, easy to play, but also very difficult to win cooperative card game. And it feels like a dungeon crawl when you're playing the game. At least it does to me. It feels very much like I'm going into the dungeon, I'm running into a wall of orcs or maybe a spider, randomly sort of generated. It kind of has a roguelike feel in that way where you kind of, you're going back into this dungeon you've been at a hundred times and dealing with new situations and new ways and trying to sort of different tactics with the different characters you might have. You might have a bright wizard or a warrior priest or so on. And it's just very fun in the, Dice rolling in this game is very, very interesting in terms of like how you activate your abilities. So you activate your abilities and you might get sort of like a response or a counter attack or a counter response because you might be trying to heal your buddy across the way and the orc is next to you taking a swing as you're doing that. And that kind of visceral sort of real time-ish kind of aspect is very engaging and interesting. And all the special abilities and the different abilities of the monsters and, and all that kind of stuff feel very thematic. They make sense in this world, which is what Fantasy Flight does so well at. So definitely take a look at this. Now number six is XCOM. And I think a lot of people have been disappointed by this game, which kind of surprises me, because I think the majority of people in my group have really enjoyed it. Um, I quite enjoyed it. It took a little bit of getting used to to, to like this game. Uh, the app is very interesting and it kind of feels like pandemic like on fire um you know it because it, it has this whole thing where you're going around to different parts of the globe kind of putting out fires and fighting back um either aliens invading your base or ufos landing in different regions and then trying to sort of accomplish different goals or missions and managing your resources effectively um but it's just super engaging. And after a while, after you kind of get sort of the basic game to be um, the standard game in, you're gonna be get good at it. And then you can kind of ratchet it up or try different missions. And it's very interesting to see sort of the AI sort of subtly unravel itself with based on what's going on with the cards and reacting to what you're doing. Um, and I really hope that this sold well, honestly, because I'd like to see an expansion. I'd like to see more games like this. I'd like to see this sort of pushed because the AI or the app in this case, it works as a timer, which is fine. Uh, but it, you know, it's a little bit of a glorified timer in that regard, but having it sort of react to you smartly and sort of a little bit more logically is the most interesting part of it and kind of learning about that and dealing with that. And that definitely, to me, replaces this whole idea of a deck of cards, you know, where you just kind of flip up an event. You're like, oh, well, well we got screwed by that because, you know, we drew three reds in a row or whatever it is. So this is a little bit more interesting in that case where you you feel like you're dealing with sort of a, a smarter opponent a little bit, but still kind of playing like kind of pandemic where you're just kind of putting out fires and trying to efficiently manage what your resources are doing. Uh, really fun game. And I do really enjoy the XCOM universe as well. So I definitely give this one a look. And if you've heard mixed reviews, you know, maybe try before you buy, but this is one you got to give it a few plays. It took me, I think three or four plays to really get into it and start to really appreciate this one. Uh, number five is one, two, three, four, five. Yep. Number five is tail feathers. This is a new, uh, you know, addition to the list because I've just recently played it really had a great time with this one. I talked in detail about the review the review came out like a week or two ago, really ev evokes a lot for me of what I've kind of wanted 
to get out of a game like X-Wing or Attack Wing. And what I've been missing, frankly, since um, I was a kid and played a game called Dragonlance, which you should not play. It's a horrible game. Uh, but it's also a very fun game. It's just not very good mechanically. This, to me, replaces for me a little bit of my heart and soul with that game in terms of various types of combat, miniature combat, and a nice cool game that has a lot of cool scenarios and stuff to uh, get you in and get you playing and get you fighting and flying around and doing cool combat maneuvers and all that kind of cool stuff. You really got to take a look at this game. Production values off the scale, just very easy to play rule set that you can kind of configure so you can play with kids and then kind of throw in some of the advanced rules to play, you know, kind of a more meaty game. Uh, go take a look at the review for that one. It's an excellent game. Highly recommend it for me. Uh, number four here in the Mare Trash category is Space Cadets Away Missions. Actually surprised that I've enjoyed this one as much as I have. It is... It kind of straddles the line between uh, like dungeon crawl and just sort of a basic pure co-op, which fits perfectly for me. Now, one of my favorite games of all time is Defenders of the Realms. And that's kind of like, you know, this takes a lot of the mechanics from Pandemic, but it also has that adventure vibe in it. And this Away Missions has that adventure feel. It feels very unique in terms of how like you go and activate all the monsters and how they attack you and then what you can do in terms of like what you're trying to get to to help you and enhance you in terms of uh there's the way that the thralls come out which i won't explain but there's these different sort of mind controlled people that you get at and other types of items that you try to go and get at to go and get items to help you get more powerful within a given scenario and then go on and complete that objective to finish out the scenario, which the game comes with like 20 different scenarios and you can play them as a campaign and just play them straight through. Uh, but the way the game evolves, it feels like you're playing kind of the same game every time, but I want to stop there because it doesn't feel samey, but it has that familiarity where you're like, okay, I know the basics, what I need to do. Every time I play this game, I need to go here and get these guys and then hopefully get some cool items and activate them and then manipulate the sort of maneuverability of the different creatures that might show up and then get to the final objective. And it's very fun. It has a great sort of core system that's easy to learn. And then you sort of just gussy it up and just paint layers and layers and layers of all this theme on it through across the different scenarios. It's And it's just like a pure fun game. And this is, you know, you can see kind of the break here between like the Euros and this style stuff. It's It's that break between like I'm not necessarily worried about the efficiency, but there's still the meaty core of a game here in Space Cadets Away Missions, but it's more about the experience of it and it being more of a fun experience and laughing at, you know, like we're surrounded by these alien brains that are just destroying us with their debuff or these, there's like a mob of these slow slugs that are slowly coming and we're like, oh, we feel like we're okay. Oh no, they're right on top of us and they do a lot of damage, you know? Um, so this is a really fun game and it's just super fun and evocative of that sense. Uh, number three is Forbidden Stars. This game is awesome. I've had a chance to play this now five times this year and that's it, but it's kind of a long game and it works great at all the player counts, two, three, and four. I, if I had a recommendation, I'd probably say four is the best, but I would still play it two and three for sure. Um, it's kind of like you're 
uber glorified dudes on the map or dudes in space sort of territory control conquest you know kind of like risk you know but blown out and just filled up with all kinds of fun special abilities ways to tinker with your empire because it's kind of like a deck building thing where you can add cards to your combat deck different units but it just does so many things smartly in terms of kind of fixing all the problems with this style of game I mean, you have this, the different types of armies you can deploy, but it's not just a strict territory and area control game. Now that can be very important at the end of the game, especially if it's like a close game, but you kind of go out and you get these sort of different objectives that are out on the map that are keys to your winning. And they're just little areas you have to control at different points in the game to try to get this little objective token. Um, but then the dynamics of the players become so important in that and you know dealing with keeping somebody sort of on the rails and not you know running away with it and the tinkering of everything involved with it it's just a super fun interesting game from start to finish and there's just a lot of this is one that kind of breaks it down because this is one where i get really into the mechanics of it but i also get into the theme and the narrative and all that kind of stuff too um, this one really straddles and fits hits a lot of me, you know, my, a lot of my criteria uh, that I look for in a game. Now it's a little long, it's, you know, you're definitely looking at like a four hour game here just about every time, I would say, except for probably a two player game. But it's just, you kind of add in that third or fourth player, it's just gonna add a little extra time because there's a lot to kind of take in and think about. It's not complex at all, but you just have to be very careful about what you do. Um, and this is a game I, that I think with some expansions could probably go up 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 my top 100 kind of thing um because i think about this game i haven't played eclipse since i've played this game for example and i really really enjoy eclipse um it doesn't have as much to it as eclipse but the combat is way more interesting than eclipse so eclipse is a different game it's a 4x but if you like eclipse or sort of i don't know i guess twilight imperium i would look at this game as sort of like it just gives you that visceral lay it down let's start fighting kind of feel um, that those games they have but they also have a lot of extra to it so if you don't really feel like that extra stuff you just want to get in there and slam it and you know think strategically and tactically this is your one uh, number two ameritrash game is maybe a surprise to some people but maybe not to others is star wars risk <laughs> speaking of risk um, this is not a risk game it's more like queen's gambit if you've not heard of it um, it is based on the last 30 minutes of return of the jedi so you have different theaters that you are fighting in and you are controlling luke versus darth vader and the assault on the endor shield station to take out the shields to reveal the death star and then the whole space combat around the Death Star and the object of course is to either wipe out all the rebel ships or if you're the rebels wipe out the Death Star it's really super fun and there's a couple things I like it first of all it's Return of the Jedi so that's really neat I like Star Wars second it plays in like half hour and it plays super quick and super fun and most of the time it goes down to the wire now you have to go and look on BoardGameGeek for there's a BG rules clarification thread on BoardGameGeek for this game, you've got to play with the seven rules uh, that clarify it. Uh, it really goes a ways to balancing the game uh, in favor of the, the Rebels. I'm confused in my head. I can't remember which was unbalanced before. I'm having a brain fart. But it was really swingy towards 
Oh, the Rebels always won. That was the thing. Sorry. Just a little mind slip there. The Rebels used to always win without those clarifications. Now the Empire has much more tools available to them to make it a much more close and balanced game. And the cool thing interesting about this is I already knew I liked this game a lot. But I've been able to see now, after playing it several times, that there is a real strong tactical sort of strategic element to this game where you can kind of feel like, okay, this is the best thing for the Rebels to do, is to rush the seal generator. And the best thing for the Empire to do is surround the Death Star with a bunch of TIE fighters and, you know, just sort of build up a wall of that. So even if the Rebels get the shield, not a big deal because you just got TIE fighters after wave out the TIE fighters. Now, once you know that, you can kind of take steps to combat each of those strategies depending on who you are and you can just go okay i'm going to go against that i'm going to go start going right after the tie fighters and build up my own wall with the x-wings and stuff and ignore endor altogether i'll get endor i'll get endor endor's coming it's going to come to me so you have that sort of metagame within you and whoever you play with i didn't expect that to even be there i just knew it was a fun 30 minute ameritrash filler game which there are like none of there's like never any good Ameritrash filler games. They're always big and long. This one fits like so many different levels. It's quick, it's Star Wars, it's Trinity Jedi, and it has sort of a little bit extra layer of depth. I don't want to oversell it, but there's an extra layer of depth here for this 30 minute game. You can't go wrong with it. I got the Black Series Edition. If you can afford it, get that one. But if you can't spend the 19 bucks or whatever, if the other one goes on sale, easy $19 spend, easy. Okay, number one is Blood Rage. Now this is one that I could throw in Euro and I could throw it in Ameritrash. And to me, it falls on the Ameritrash side because it is way, 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 way combative. It's very in your face, it's very aggressive, it feels very um, muscular in a way. It's very testosterone filled because it's just big, dis disgustingly bulky figures all over the place, Vikings, you know, just blood and guts everywhere. And so to me, that's just, it just pushes it over into the Meritrash side. Whereas, what did I mention? The uh, Argent, the Consortium kind of falls more on the Euro side, because it's not really in your face Argent. This one is in your face. I mean, it's just area control. You got this cool card drafting element. If you haven't heard of Blood Rage, I'm sure everybody's been talking about it. I know it's on, I think a lot of end of year, best of game lists. This has a lot of elements that just really uh, speak to me, and you can play in a decent amount of time, about 90 minutes. And you, the card drafting, which I love, the area control is really cool, very interesting. And the way the card drafting sort of plays and interplays with that, and you know, sometimes you want to lose combat, sometimes you want to win combat. There's different cool abilities that you can do and different ways to score points. You can kind of wait and strike at different opportunities based on you know what players are doing, what you think they're doing, what you think they might be doing because of what you drafted. Lots of cool stuff. Uh, just definitely take a look at this one. I don't think I really need to talk about this one too much because I've already kind of talked it to death and a lot of other people have, but Blood Rage is definitely my number one Ameritrash game. So, you still with me? <laughs> so we're gonna go do my social games and then my number one game, which is on none of these <laughs> different categories, but it's definitely my number one game. So I'm gonna be a little bit quicker here with my social games. Number seven is Terra. Oh, and then the reason, excuse me, why I'm leaving social for last is because there are so many social games. Um, I love that though. 
Now, we might be getting close to kind of social deduction burnout. You know, a lot of people talk about cult of the new, you know, or like the BGG cult of the Euro. I think there's like some kind of cult of the social to, you know, anyway, there's a little bit of that that's happening, I think. And I think that's okay. I think it's a good thing. Definitely need balance to the force, right? Uh, but there's a lot of social games coming out. Like, how many do we need? Okay. And I have left a couple off of here. And I kind of was swapping some back and forth on this because I'm like, oh, I could put that one on there. But I'm like, eh, I like this one a little bit better. But it's slightly different, but kind of the same as this other one. So let's just jump in now. Number seven is Terra. Now, this is one that could be a Euro, it could be social, but I really just wanted to mention Terra because I really have enjoyed this game. It's based on the engine of Fauna, and it's sort of like a Trivial Pursuit Wits and Wagers Euro game uh, with Cube sort of... It's kind of area control because what you do is you get a question and you have areas on a map and on different tracks and you try to get on the right answer and then place adjacent to what you think the right answer might be. You might think that Billy across the table knew the answer, so you place adjacent to him even though he maybe got there first and you're not really sure what the answer was. And there's just massive amounts of cards. Uh, played as the gamer group with the family. Everybody's really enjoyed it. It's a nice, good half an hour or so game and you can play it back to back to back. A lot of fun. You're gonna have a ton of replayability and it's a very social game. So a lot of these are gonna be social deduction games, but I think there's probably a untapped and underrealized area of just social games. Um, okay, quick rant, all games are social, the end. Okay, and the next is The Grizzled, number six. Number, this is, it's, now it's a card game, but I found this very social, very interesting sort of mentally. And this is where I kind of get with this social idea is, is you need to really get in this sort of Hanabi-esque aspect. And I kind of early on in my first few plays of this was like, this feels like Hanabi. But then I kind of backed off because it, it you know, it's not reminiscent mechanically. Uh, but having played this now with different groups a lot over the last year, getting very into the dynamics and sort of the tells that you can have with the game. Uh, so you have the speeches that you can give out, the tells. You have just the card play in general. You have a little bit of the card counting that can go on. Um, so it's hard to, for me to explain this and, and sort of tangibly talk about it. You've got to play the game several times. Uh, but it's very interesting in terms of the theme of it. The theme, I will say, honestly, has gone by the wayside. Whereas it has become more about playing cards smartly, reading my my uh, you know fellow teammates and getting around the different obstacles that present itself. But the theme of being in a trench in World War I uh, really works well with this style of game. And it's very difficult to win, especially when you play with sort of all the rules turned on. There's been a couple of editions of the rules and you know you can play with different variants. I have actually beat it, finally. Um, with all of the rules turned on, you know, the speeches only work for your other players, not yourself, and using the trap cards and all that stuff. And holy cow, was it satisfying to win. And that's like, you remember that, and it's hard to like just move on from that in a lot of ways, because like, we won it, we did it, you know? And it's super satisfying. And this is one I would definitely play with a same group uh, a lot because you're gonna get into how people like to play, what, they, what their kind of tendencies are. It's very elusive to try to pin this one down, but I really enjoy this a lot. Uh, number five is Spyfall. This is one, if you would have talked to me earlier in the year, I would say this would be my number one, maybe my number one game of the year, um, or at least very close to that. 
it has kind of fallen flat a couple of times. And I think it takes a very specific group that's willing to do this and willing to kind of get past basically being the spy. Being the spy is very difficult and it's hard to kind of be off on your own and be like the only trader without being able to be quiet and just sort of let things play out because you can be asked questions in this game very very early in a round and you're like well i'm not ready <laughs> to answer yet i don't really figured out what's going on and so that's really really tricky but i like that it's such a different experience it's probably the game i would least recommend to people now that i've played it with several groups to people to play because it, you're gonna have those experiences i think fall flat but to me the good sides, the good experiences outweigh that. I think it's worth it to keep investing time and in playing it. Uh, I have really enjoyed it, and it's definitely a unique experience. If you haven't looked at Spyfall, I did a review. There's been other reviews. Go check it out. It's a really, really interesting, fun experience. Number four, code names. Um, maybe people would expect this to be number one. I've played this several times now, more, way more times than I can count. It's awesome. It's great. The thing that it has going for it is it's so accessible. Now, to me, the three above this are better, more enjoyable, more satisfying games. And I would argue that a good game of Spyfall for me will be more satisfying than a good game of Codenames. But it's like I said, I've had enough sort of flat games of Spyfall that Codenames has to come up. I don't think I've ever had a flat game of Codenames. It's always been a good, fun experience. A little bit samey after a while, though. I got to say, I, just, I feel like you're like, boy, I thought you were going to talk good about this game. But I feel like I should just sort of temper a little bit because recently just people with code names, code names, code names all the time. They get kind of samey. It's like, okay, you know, rabbit three, and then you pick the word and then you go. And it's like, okay, well, it kind of gets the same after a while. Like if you play it and I maybe have just burnt out on it, I'm not going to get rid of it. It's going to be one of those easy games just because it just, everybody has a smile on their face once you start playing the game. You know, and so in terms of me like ranking games, that's very difficult for me, but this one is easy to play. It's just buttery and it's just sort of an ingenious, simple, straightforward piece of game that you just can't not recommend because it's so smooth and buttery and works well for like every imaginable player counter. You could have like a 20 versus 20 game. Well, that's ridiculous, but you could do something like that. You could break it out into two uh, groups of five versus five and just easily play in two different sides of the room. And it's just so easy and, and relaxing to, to get into. That's number four. Enough about code names. And number three is Deception in Hong Kong, another new game. And this one is why, well, let me back up. This to me fits in that same area of code names, of Spyfall, of Mysterium, of you know, like the Resistance, and sort of One Night. Now, one Night's like off in its own funky world. Um, this is so such an interesting game. Um, I did review of it a couple of weeks ago, and had a chance to play it even more since then. And just it just impresses me the way this game works out. Now you're going to have some amazing games of this. And you're going to have where, you know, you figure out the murderer, the murderer guesses the witness. I don't want to get too into the details here, but you're also going to have some games that feel like they're going to fall flat. But what my experience has gone and, and told me is the game is difficult in a way. And it is designed to be difficult because you have to make that sort of free association jump as you're giving clues as the forensic scientist or you're trying to read the forensic scientist as the forensic scientist is sort of responding to, you know, the discussion. 
it just gets into that sort of next dimension of game for me where everything comes together and you're so satisfied with figuring it out. Where even the murderer is like, hey, you guys figured it out, <laughs> you got me, you know? And it just gets to that next level, which is super, super fun and very satisfying. And you're gonna find out with these top three here. It's all to me about that, there's a difficulty there. There's, 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 a, there's a kind of a growth within the group of people playing the game then you're very satisfied about unlocking and or getting close to unlocking. Even if you don't actually win or necessarily accomplish the goal, you get very close and you feel like you made good progress as a team, as a group. And that's what really comes across to me with Deception in Hong Kong. And I'm really excited to play this again, actually, you know, just talking about it. Uh, so definitely take a look at that one. Uh, number two, another satisfying, and this is probably the most, uh, the game that most associates with this whole concept of being satisfied as a team, and that's Bomb Squad. This game has a ton in it. That's funny because now I'm thinking about it, uh, David Short is one of the designers of Bomb Squad. He also designed automobiles, which I talked about. And I like this because it's Hanabi, and it has this thing where you have so much game built in, and that's the same thing with automobiles. I don't know, maybe that's a, something that he has, but because you can play like the basic intro scenario and do it. And you get into the game, like oh, that's a pretty cute game, you know? But then you can play like, the one we played most recently was like, I think it was level three. We played on like the elite mode and we just went for it. And we played it I think three times, maybe four, but I think it was the third time we got it. And no, I think it was four, I can't remember. <sighs> and we won and it was, we were loud, we, we loved it. And there was a four player game and it was super difficult. And one time we got so close, I think it was the third time we got so close and we didn't make it. We we're super frustrated. We're like, ah, we got to do it again. And then in that fourth game, everything was against us. We we're like, we're not even going to defuse one bomb. But again, kind of back to that whole grizzled attitude of you get to know your players, you get to know the tendencies and what they're going to forget. Because this is one of those where you can't look at the cards and you're like, eh, he's, there's two blues there. He's going to forget that, <laughs> you know? And then you get into that. You get into, you get into that, that collective sort of thing, the teamwork idea of it. And then you win and it's great and it's satisfying. And there's so many different modes and things and different scenarios and missions you can play with this built upon this core that there's just so much game here that you can just explore and have fun with and, and try again and again and again and again. You're gonna get your money's worth out of this game is what I'm really trying to say here is you gotta give a look at this. Now it's a real time, it's stressful as anything you can imagine. So if you don't want the real time stuff, then there you go. But this is really going to excel and hit that. If you have a group of people that you can you can be frustrated with, you can, you know, you can be relaxed with, and everybody's gonna be okay with it. And you can you can be stressed out together. And and then that's okay. And then you can win and everybody will be super happy. That's Bomb Squad number two. Uh, number one is Dark Moon. And this remains, if you've watched my top 100, um, my second favorite sort of social deduction game behind One Night Ultimate Werewolf. Uh, really interesting game. Very hard to explain why I like it so much. It's kind of Battlestar Galactica with dice and has a cool theme. It's more like the thing on a moon around Jupiter um, instead of like, you know, the thing in Antarctica. And it has some different Battlestar types of things. It was originally based on BSG Express. 
but the, it's got this whole like liar's dice thing where you roll some dice that are hidden you're like oh i only rolled the negative four so too bad and everybody's like well you're the traitor and I'm like, no it's just what i rolled and then just like from the instant that you start the game you have to be on your toes watching people and it's got this all these cool thematic things where you're trying to succeed at different objectives and then fix different stations that are around the space station that's on this moon and you know trying to fight back this infected person that is trying to sabotage everything and it plays in like about an hour like you can have a quicker game well yeah you can, you can have sometimes a super quick game that takes like 30 minutes um i would say that's more of an anomaly but to me it feels like a bigger heavier chunkier game like Battlestar or dead of winter or something like that but still plays on the lighter more reasonable side so they've been able to sort of condense all of that and reduce it but still maintain that feel of like oh i played a full game i didn't play a filler whereas maybe you played it in a, a little bit more than the amount of time it took to play a filler so i really like that because some of these other games like this for example deception in hong kong is one that is in the same sort of thing where you have like a traitor or a murderer kind of thing but a game round is going to take you 20 minutes so you can play it a couple of times this one is feels like it does not ever feel like it's overstaying its welcome whatsoever. And it's, so I still feel like I got my full game meal, so to speak, out of it. And I love everything about the game. So anyway, those are my, what is that, 21 games plus some honorable mentions. And the number one game is Pandemic Legacy, no surprise. Now, I did two reviews on this one, uh, spoiler-free and a complete spoiler one. And so I'm at the point where it's very difficult for me to sort of explain why it's the number one game because I really I think went over that in my spoiler review um, now I really was drawn in by this game in terms of the story element that's just really hard without spoiling um, I I would recommend here's the thing I think this is great I think board games could do this I hate to do this, but I'm going to contrast it with Time Stories. To me, this is this is a game where Time Stories, like I said in another video, is more like a choose-your-own-adventure and less of a game. Still some game stuff, but not really. This is a game. This is a game. Now, it's easy, maybe, because it was based on Pandemic, which is already a good co-op, right? A very solid core that many expansions have been wrapped around, and they wrapped some story and some more different modules around it. So it works perfect. It works perfectly for me. Um, I think it's also like unlocked for, in, at least in my mind and my hope and my imagination for the future, what's possible with this. Now, and people can go back and forth and gripe about the legacy and you're destroying your game. One thing I said in my review, which I think is now wrong, is you can go back and play the game once you're done. What you have is your own custom copy of Pandemic. I have gone back and played it. I've had a great time with it. Now, I don't alter the game anymore, but there's a couple of threads on BoardGameGeek. Don't go look at them unless you finish the game because there are spoilers in there. But there are some rules that people have come up with, some great rules, about how you can just play the game once you're done with all 12 months of the game. And you can use some of the characters you have and some of the different things that have happened to your board. You can just use them. So you have basically at the end of the day, a copy of Pandemic that is custom to you. Now I wish 
that the designers or the publisher would sort of ratify or issue maybe a little set of rules or suggestions types of things for people to do it because it doesn't really matter but it'd be kind of cool if they did that just kind of made it official and said like oh well yeah if you did this you know then this can happen blah 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 so i think the argument or whatever is that you can't play it after you're done is wrong this is not the truth even if that was the case, I would still be okay with this, like setting this on fire and never playing it again, because it was a, such a different experience for me in terms of the narrative that went through the game, which I did not expect really uh, to happen. Um, you're still kind of playing a pandemic and then all these other add-ons, but there is a narrative that goes through all the games and the choices that you make in the game, yeah, they alter things, but they also are altering this world. And maybe I'm smitten because I never played Risk Legacy, but that might be part of it. But they alter the world in ways that matter to the story. Now you have a definite path from beginning to end. You're always gonna kind of end the same way-ish. Um, it's not like you're gonna, I don't know. You could you could kind of argue semantics with this. I mean, the story kind of deviates a little bit, but you're a little bit on rails and stuff, And but the way you edit. But in the meantime, you're playing an actual fun game and you know it's kind of sweating your choices anyway. But yeah, it's really hard not, I hate these reviews where I can't spoil because I'm like, oh, this part's cool, but that's a spoiler. Oh, that's such a weird place to be in for uh, board games, you know, it's such a weird thing. Okay, so anyway, I'm giving away a copy of this. So if you're against the legacy thing and you're against spending your money in, in altering a game physically, you have no excuse. <laughs> I'm going to be giving a copy away to one of you, <laughs> you know, so you, it's yours. It's my money. It's on me. One of you will get it and you can play through it and hopefully you enjoy it. And then you can, you can forget about it and you just throw that off your shoulders about this whole thing of a boxed linear game that you can never play again once you're done, which is false because you can keep playing it. Um, so I'm very apologetic about sort of my just wishy-washy abstract thoughts here because like I said you kind of have to spoil it because there's certain moments in the game that are just like oh wow that's cool that's awesome oh wow that's neat oh that's cool how that when that happened okay this this happened this happened um and so it kind of it also just broadened my horizons for what's possible in this kind of style of game the approach to games I mean they really don't have to do the legacy stuff they could base it on an app and the app would track your progress and different things would happen. Maybe you'll alter your board a little bit or something, or you could just have some cards out. But there is something cool about the experience of like, you know, tearing up cards and stickering things. Um, so that's fine. But yeah, I definitely recommend this. This is, I don't know where it would be, you know, in my top 100 games. And that's a tricky thing because Yes, I might play it again here and there as sort of my own custom copy of Pandemic, but I'm not really playing the game as designed or as intended. Or I've already played through the scenario. I'm never going to play through that again. I never will. I will never play through Season 1 again. Uh, so, yeah, that's it. But, hey, that's good. That's a good, good thing. You know, this is like you people talk about like every five, eight years or some big game like Dominion or Settlers of Catan or something that comes and shakes things up. I think 100% it's Pandemic Legacy. I think you're going to see different versions of Legacy. You know, I had a chance to play another one called Chronicles um, Origins. 
very excited about that. There's Seafall coming up. Um, there's some other games with some legacy elements. And I think the thing for me, just kind of sitting here talking, is if anybody's designing a legacy, I think you have to go for it like 100%. I think you have to commit to what you're going to tell the story and how you're going to tell the story and what you want the players to sort of step into in terms of that space, in terms of the game space as well as the mental space and how you want to sort of affect them. Like, not just from a point of view of what you think of when you think of a board game of, of them versus other players and just that whole like paradigm is like whew, just going away i mean it's, it's obviously going to be there i mean i listed seven amazing euros in ameritrash games that are just like if you break it down like a lot of other games but this is a different element here and it, it steps into the rpg element but there's something about having the game sort of dictate to you what's going on and then using a lot of those modern board game design techniques yeah i don't know it's it's a new frontier for me i think this is just you're you're able to do a lot of things and the thing you should do is you should commit you should commit to that experience you should think more about where are you going to put that player where what kind of space they're going to be in what kind of tough decisions they're going to have to make what kind of moral decisions they're going to have to make about you know the people involved and what they're manipulating and maybe what they feel like they are doing sort of vicariously through the game i think that's the thing that's the thing that is most important with this and so yeah anyway number one game that's it have a good year next year thanks